wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for August 9, 2018. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. Another solid week in the world of wrestling between Raw SmackDown 205 Live. That's what we're breaking down here today on the show. As SummerSlam quickly approaches, now a quick heads up before we get started here. My plans for SummerSlam weekend. Now, in years past, I have gone to both TakeOver and SummerSlam. In 2015, I went to TakeOver Brooklyn 1 and SummerSlam the next day. I was so exhausted, but it was one of the best weekends ever. 2016, same exact thing. Went to TakeOver, SummerSlam, and the Raw after. So that was my first and only time going to three wrestling shows back to back to back. Fucking crazy weekend. One of the best weekends ever. Wrestling related or otherwise. Great weekend. Last year, couldn't go. I was away. Couldn't go to anything. Uh, I was disappointed about that just because TakeOver was so great. SummerSlam, not so much. This year, now I could go to SummerSlam. I'm absolutely going to take over. I knew that dating back months ago to like April or uh, May. So I knew that months ago. SummerSlam was I was always on the fence about because I knew I really did not want to see another Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns main event. Now I know there is more to SummerSlam than just Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. Trust me. I get it. We got Samoa Joe and AJ Styles. You got Jeff Hardy versus Shinsuke Nakamura. You have Daniel Bryan versus The Miz, one of the most anticipated matches in recent WWE history. You have Ronda Rousey versus Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship. I don't care. I mean, I care. I care about the rest of the card, but the main event does nothing for me. Even if Braun cashes in, I I, I, I don't really want to be there for that. I honestly don't. Um, I would be fine with going to... Raw the next night, or SmackDown, which is what I might end up doing, so I think I'm going to definitely take over, and then SmackDown a few days later, just because I'll be so fucking tired from TakeOver the night before, where in years past, I thought it was worth it, and it was to go to SummerSlam the next day, this year, I don't have that same desire, fucking Gabriel Iglesias, Fluffy, the comedian, went on Twitter, someone asked him on Twitter a couple days ago, they asked him, Are you going to SummerSlam this year? Because, you know, they get celebrities in the crowd and stuff like that. And he said no. He said, I'm not going to SummerSlam because I cannot take another Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns match. That's literally what he said. Not word for word, but essentially what he's saying is that he does not want another Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar main event. And I feel the exact same way. So, you go, Fluffy. I second that notion. I'm not going to fucking go. I don't care that much. No, I would love to be there for Joe likely winning the WWE Championship and to see Joe versus AJ Styles for the first time one-on-one in the WWE ring. But you know it's not going to be the main event, so why bother? Um, I'm not saying that people that are going are wasting their money or wasting their time. I personally just do not have it in me to go to both TakeOver and SummerSlam with the current state of the SummerSlam card. Now, on the SmackDown side, it's great. 
Raw, not so much. So again, I'll likely be going to, I mean, I am definitely going to take over. I likely will be going to SmackDown a few days removed from the pay-per-view. At the Barclays Center, SmackDown is the A show right now. There's no fucking debate about it. Raw is in the doldrums at the moment. SmackDown is firing almost in all cylinders. So I'll likely be going to SmackDown to keep you guys posted. That's in two more weeks or 12 days from today. I'd be going to SmackDown, so I'll likely be giving my on-site report for both TakeOver and SmackDown uh, from that week. Alexis would be joining me. She was here on the show last week. So speaking of which, check out last week's edition of WrestleRant Radio for a casual fans review of Monday Night Raw. Alexis and I had a great time breaking down the show, looking at Raw from a different perspective. And even as someone who does not watch the show as passionately, as regularly as I do, she still could not care less about most of what she saw on last week's show. Now, she also agrees SmackDown is a much more compelling show, even by reading the results for last week's show, which she did not have the opportunity to watch live. She still... Um, read up on the results before we talked about it here on WrestleRant Radio last week, and she also realizes that SmackDown is the show to watch nowadays between Raw and SmackDown. Raw is just not really worth it. This week's show, no fucking exception. This week's show is a fucking shit show. Almost everything, aside from a few segments and matches here and there, wasted just my three hours of my life. Thank God I did not watch live. I think three hours is a bit of a stretch because I did watch after the fact, and I skip over entrances and fucking recaps and all that other dumb shit. So it took me maybe two hours to watch Raw. But still, it was a waste of two hours by and large. So I will have my two cents on Raw coming up. But like I said, check out that episode with Alexis from last week. It was a great time. Maybe she'll be back in two weeks to help me break down our on-site report for being at SmackDown in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, which would be her first ever WWE show. She's never been to a wrestling event before, so... That'll likely be her first event in two weeks' time at SmackDown in Brooklyn. So speaking of which, you can check out that episode of WrestleRant Radio and every other past episode of WrestleRant Radio dating back to October of 2013. The debut of the show, we're quickly approaching five years of WrestleRant Radio, which is insane. Thank you guys for your continued support of the show. You can check out all those episodes not only on nextdaywrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Like I said, you get every archived episode dating back to October 2013, in addition to every new episode every single Thursday right here on nextdaywrestling.net and iTunes. I've also been... Um, notified by, uh, I got to bring it up to him, Johnny NBA on the Twitter machine is a great guy. I listen to uh, many a great podcast with myself and uh, Randy Cruz, the Cruise Control podcast, two out of three count falls. Always a great time doing that podcast with Randy every single week. Um, we're on Podbay, we're on iTunes, we're on, I don't think this show is on Stitcher, I'm not exactly sure, but those are easily, I, at least to my memory, at least to my knowledge, the easiest ways to check out WrestleRant Radio are on iTunes and right on the website as well at Next Air Wrestling. So before we get into my thoughts on Raw, SmackDown, and 205 Live from this past week, which granted aren't a lot of thoughts, so we'll see if we make it the full hour today, but I do have a few things to say about the May Young Classic, which started taping yesterday, I believe from Full Sail University. Now, I'm not going out of my way to check out spoilers. I'd rather not know. Um, I have a decent idea of who might win this thing, but honestly, it could very well go many a different way. I mean, you look at all the competitors they have confirmed for this year's Classic between 
Madison Rain, who got added last Monday, which I didn't have the opportunity to talk about here in the show last week, but I'll talk about it momentarily. Madison Rain, a number of um, competitors from Japan, Iro Shirai, you have Deanna Perrazzo, you have Allison Kay, the former Sienna from Impact, you have MJ Jenkins from fucking Impact Wrestling, you have a lot of different competitors from a lot of different backgrounds, the former Caitlyn from WWE, the former Divas Champion Caitlyn is coming back for the Mae Young Classic, so... Very exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Kicked off yesterday. Um, the announcement that came out via ESPN on Tuesday, or rather on Wednesday, I should say, of this past week, said that the show will begin airing on September 5th, and that'll take us all the way through the Evolution pay-per-view in late October, which were, is where the finals will be held um, live at the pay-per-view, which is cool. And the commentary team for the Mae Young Classic this year, last year it was Jim Ross and Lita, they weren't very good. They weren't terrible, but they weren't very good. Jim Ross, I'm not exactly sure what the deal is with him nowadays because his commentary in New Japan is not as great as you think it would be. Like, oh, Jim Ross in New Japan, what a combo. Like, that's awesome. I mean, he was good for that Wrestle Kingdom show I watched, the full Wrestle Kingdom show I watched back in 2015. But beyond that, the guy really has not been lighting the world on fire. It sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about in that he just doesn't watch the product. He's not very good, him and Josh Barnett. Um, I would say that Don Callis and Kevin Kelly are a much better duo on commentary, for the English commentary anyway, so check out their stuff, but anyway, so Lita was also not very good, Lita was not cut out for commentary, I'll tell you that right now, so they got cut out, the initial rumor was that Mauro Inala would be on commentary, he's not doing the commentary apparently, it's gonna be Michael Cole, Beth Phoenix, and Renee Young, which is not a bad combo, but if you have the option between Michael Cole and Mauro Ronaldo, why the fuck wouldn't you go with Mauro Ronaldo? Now, Mauro Ronaldo is doing the bracketology special they do for all the tournaments on the network, which is cool. But come on. What a waste. I mean, you have Mauro Ronaldo ready to call the action. He would do a much better job of making the matches seem and sound more important. Michael Cole's not bad. He can be right. He can be great in the right environment, like that the first UK tourney a few years ago. Him and Nigel McGuinness were a great combination on commentary. Um, but, uh, I don't know, I feel like if you have the option between Michael Cole and Mauro Ronaldo, I would absolutely 110% go with Mauro Ronaldo, but that's just me. Nonetheless, though, they will be calling the action for the 2018 May Young Classic, Beth Phoenix, Renee Young, and Michael Cole. Renee Young has not been on commentary since five years ago in NXT. She didn't do a bad job then, she's just cut out for being an announcer and, like, an interviewer rather than, like, a commentator. We'll see how she does. Um, I actually just met Renee Young for the first time at a Northeast Wrestling show on Friday, which I had a fun time at. Um, the show itself was fine. It wasn't one of the best NEW shows I've ever been to, but I had the chance to meet Renee Young, Billy Gunn for the first time. Also got to see Rey Mysterio again, the Young Bucks, Marty Skrull, Flip Gordon was there, Jack Swagger was there, The Kingdom was there. Pretty star-studded event, so uh, real cool to be at that show. But um, anyway, yeah, Beth Phoenix was fine during the Mixed Match Challenge a couple months back, so... Uh, I'm sure she'll do fine in this environment as well. But yeah, Madison Rain also added to the May Young Classic, which is great. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, yeah, May Madison Rain, uh, you know, uh, picking up a lot of success in Impact Wrestling over the years. A former multi-time Knockouts champion. The cool thing about Madison Rain is that she just competed for the Knockouts Championship at Slammiversary, lost to Sue Young. Then, I think that same week and maybe the day before, she competed for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship against uh, Sumi Sakai. lost that. That was not a televised show. That was a uh, maybe a house show for Honor Club or whatever. 
She competed for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship, then the Knockouts Championship from Impact, and now she's in the WWE Mae Young Classic, which is awesome. Mae Young, or Madison Rain, rather than Mae Young. Mae Young, too. Madison Rain, great competitor. Um, a long time coming, very deserving of this opportunity. I know she competed for a tryout, in a tryout for the WWE late last year. Nothing came of it. Um, so it's cool to see her in that environment, see her competing amongst the elite in women's wrestling right now. The only name I'm kind of shocked that was not confirmed for the tourney, you have all these former Ring of Honor women, Impact women. Very surprised that Chelsea Green, the former Laurel Van Ness from Impact, the former Knockouts Women's Champion, is not in the Mayon Classic. Now, you know she was in a recent tryout. Maybe they just might sign her outright. But um, I was kind of surprised by that because she is an up-and-coming star in the world of wrestling right now, and she I don't think she's heard back. She said, I mean, if you don't make it, they're not going to call you and tell you no. I mean, in some cases, they might. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I'm surprised that she's not a part of this thing. But maybe down the road, she will get involved with NXT. I mean, I said the same thing about Deanna Perrazzo last year. Why isn't she in the Mae Young Classic? And here we are. She's not only in the Mae Young Classic, she's also signed to WWE. So maybe the same can be said for Chelsea Green, a.k.a. Laurel Vaness down the road. But yeah, May Young Classic looking great, loaded, locked and loaded. I'm excited for it. Premiering on the network, I believe, on September 5th in just a few short weeks. And it will be a weekly show. It's not what they did last year where they put up like four episodes at once a week. Um, which was fine, but I like the I like the format of doing it by you know, like each week, every Wednesday. I think it's airing after NXT a lot like the Cruiseway Classic, which is great. So I'm looking forward to that. And as I had said, the finals will be held at the Evolution pay-per-view in late October in about two and a half months um, in Long Island, I'm pretty sure it is. So looking forward to that. The Mae Young Classic looking awesome on paper. Last year's was great. A lot of people slept on it because of the format and how it wasn't airing weekly and all that other stuff. But this year's looks fantastic, and I cannot wait for it. So getting into Raw from this past week is something that is all not that exciting to talk about, that being Monday Night Raw from this past week, the August 6th edition. Um, this was not that great of a show really at all. Like I said, I did not have the opportunity to watch live. Um, and I'm glad I didn't. I got to skip through all the crap. I mean, I watched the matches, watched the segments. When I say crap, like I said at the start of the show, I skipped through the entrances. I skipped through the recaps. I skipped through anything I find pointless. Video packages that we've seen a million times. Um, so to kick off this week's show, we had Kurt Angle once again calling Brock Lesnar you know, a weak universal champion. I can't wait for him to lose that championship at SummerSlam, blah, 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 blah. So, Brock Lesnar um, does not respond. Paul Heyman is not in the arena, though he does cut a promo on Brock Lesnar a little later on in the show, which I'll talk about momentarily, which was the soul-saving grace of this entire show. It was not enough to make the show worth watching, but it was still a great segment. But I'll talk about that a little later on in the review. Um, like I said, to kick, all the actual co- uh, to kick all the actual show, you had Kurt Angle talking about Brock Lesnar. Out comes Roman Reigns to confront Kurt Angle, talking about why, oh, Brock Lesnar's not here again, blah, 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 same old shit. Roman Reigns gets in the face of Baron Corbin, like, where the hell were you, Baron Corbin, last week to stand up to Brock Lesnar? If he was here again, I would beat his ass, blah, 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 blah. Thus leading to a one-on-one match between Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin, I believe, for the first time ever. A match I knew I never wanted to see, and I'm glad we did not, I mean, I was going to say I'm glad we did not get it, but we did on this week's show. Uh, a match we never really asked for, yet we got anyway. I guess might be the best way to sum it up. A very boring match. Uh, Roman Reigns can go in there with the right guy and have a very good match. Same can be said for Baron Corbin. Like I said last week, 
Finn Balor, Baron Corbin could not give two shits about the feud. But I thought they had a really good match on last week's show, quite honestly. I thought the Balor-Corbin match was a lot of fun, but you put these type of guys against each other, Reigns and Corbin, it's not the best combination. They're not going to have the greatest chemistry. And that was exactly the case here. This was a very boring match. Um, felt like it dragged on and on and on and on. Rest hold after rest hold after rest hold. Went on for like fucking 20 minutes before finally Roman Reigns wins. Clean as a sheet. What was accomplished from this? Baron Corbin picks up a clean win over Finn Balor. Any momentum, any, any sliver of momentum that Baron Corbin got from beating Balor last week clean on Raw was completely erased when Roman Reigns beat him clean this week on Raw. Who the fuck can possibly care? It's so stupid. It's stupid. The 50-50 booking with these people, I had someone arguing with me on Twitter a couple months ago, why 50-50 booking is a good thing. Would you rather have someone lose over and over and over? It's like, yeah, because if you beat, if you do fucking 50-50 booking, it doesn't do anything for anyone. In some cases, it might help if you want to do a rubber match or whatever. But with shit like this, Baron Corbin looks like every bit of a loser as he did before last week. He may have come across as somewhat credible when he beat Balor last week, but that's completely gone to this point after losing to Roman Reigns. And it wasn't like, oh, he had a great showing in defeat. No, the match sucked. The match sucked. It was a complete waste of time. Same can be said for Razor and Titus O'Neil. So Apollo Crews, uh, Apollo Crews beat Akam on last week's show. In predictable fashion, Authors of Pain got their win back by beating Titus O'Neil on this week's show. Who the fuck can possibly care? Singles matches with the Authors of Pain and Titus O'Neil or Titus Worldwide? Who cares? Who gives a shit? The eventual tag team match, no one will give a shit about. Titus Worldwide should have never gotten the better of Authors of Pain in the first place. The way that the Authors of Pain have been booked has been fucking horrendous on the main roster. Now, I didn't talk about this in depth last week here on the show just because Alexis isn't familiar with their past from NXT, but I can't blame her for not giving a shit about these guys because they've done nothing on the main roster. They show up, immediately are taken away from Paul Ellering, which I talked about two weeks ago and why that was a huge mistake. The very next week, or they show up, win another match. Um, Soon after that, they're off TV for like two or three weeks. They come back, and probably longer than that, for like a month, actually. They come back, win some more meaningless matches, then get put in a feud with Titus Worldwide, a tag team that no one could give two shits about and have no credibility whatsoever, and are getting the better of Authors of Pain more often than not. But why? The question is why. They gain nothing from beating Titus Worldwide. They lose even more from losing to them. They are damaged even more. So they gain nothing and are only damaged by being associated with Titus Worldwide. The whole tag team feud is a complete waste of time. So anyway, uh, we had Bobby Roode and Mojo Raleigh on this show, which was advertised the week out. For what reason? I have no clue because no one was looking forward to this to begin with. Raleigh and Roode, every bit as boring as the matches they had earlier this year on SmackDown. In the Royal Rumble kickoff show, they had a match for the United States Championship. It sucked then. It sucked now. Again, 50-50 booking. I was honestly a little disappointed that Rude lost. Now, Rude losing to Raleigh is like, what the fuck? What a what a joke. But I was thinking like, okay, so if Rude continues to lose, because he recently lost to Dolph Ziggler on Raw. He's lost to a few other people, Elias recently on Raw, and a number of other people. So by him losing, I'm hoping that will push him over the edge. They'll turn him heel. Nope, he won here. He won here clean. And the Mojo Raleigh, any momentum that he had coming into this match, completely erased. 
And again, not a case of, oh, he'll look strong in defeat after a great match. No, he looked like a fucking loser because he lost clean as a sheet. And the match sucked anyway. The match was so fucking boring, bland, and lethargic. No one gave a shit. Rude winning fell on deaf ears. Rude is so beyond far damaged goods, and it can be repaired, so I shouldn't exactly say that. But Mojo Raleigh just doesn't really have it to begin with. So I don't know why they built him up for over a month, only to have him lose to Bobby Rude. Why? Who cares? Who gives a shit? Why? Who the fuck could possibly care? Bobby Lashley came out to interrupt Elias and attack him for the second straight week. Again, another segment, deja vu from last week. I feel like I'm watching the same Raw House show week after week after week, except it's televised. I assume this will be setting up a SummerSlam kickoff show match, which, I mean, I guess is good for Bobby Lashley and Elias to be on the show. But the match will be no good. I mean, it could be decent, but I'm sure it's not going to be a barn burner. And that's going to be on the kickoff show, as it should be, because this is not worthy of the main card on the pay-per-view. Bobby Lashley goes from a highly touted, almost main event with Roman Reigns at Extreme Rules to a kickoff show match with Elias. So it was very clear they were merely building him up just to lose to Roman Reigns. Just so Roman Reigns' victory over him, over him a few weeks ago would be that much more meaningful. But in retrospect, it means nothing because Bobby Lashley beat Roman Reigns at Extreme Rules clean. Now he can barely get at SummerSlam, so... Again, the booking with these people and, and some of their top stars is questionable. Very questionable, to say the least. Also on the show, we had the Kevin Owens show return with uh, with Kevin Owens talking to Jinder Mahal about Braun Strowman. Just went on and on and on. Kevin Owens can take anything and turn it to gold just by his association and involvement with it. But Jinder Mahal is someone just no one really cares about, so anything that he's a part of, I immediately lose interest in. No matter who else is a part of it, I just have zero interest. So maybe plus one interest for Kevin Owens, but thankfully Jinder's mic skills, his promo was kept to uh, a minimum here. Braun Strowman eventually crashed the show, turned the stage over. So usually the KO show is in the ring. They had it on the stage here just so Braun Strowman can tip over the floor um, and startle both guys. That immediately led into Strowman and Mahal Part 2 from last week which also was more of an angle than an actual match. Now, before, I mean, thankfully, the actual match wouldn't have been any good anyway. But what they did instead, they had Braun Strowman out there um, get himself DQ'd by attacking Mahal with the briefcase. So Mahal wins again, this time by DQ. Last week it was by countout. And I understand this was designed to send the message that, oh, Braun Strowman can lose by countout or DQ at SummerSlam. And if he does, he's no longer Mr. Money in the Bank. I don't know, I thought this was, that was a weak way of getting there just because we saw the exact same thing last week just with a count-out and not a DQ. It was a different story at that point. And you know they're going to do Mahal and Strowman again next week in like a no-DQ match or something before SummerSlam. But Mahal does nothing for anybody, so I can't say I'm looking forward to that. But I don't know, I thought what they did last week was kind of clever. This week was just a rerun of that angle and not interesting whatsoever because you know... Kevin Owens is going to lose. So they're really doing this for nothing. Because you know he's going to lose to Braun Strowman. So why even bother playing up the possibility that he can lose by DQ or countout? So it's dumb. And Mahal, again, like I said, anything that he's involved in, I could not care less about anyway. So this was a waste of time. We had a two-on-one handicap match here. So we had a tag team match originally between Rollins and a partner of his choosing versus Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. So... Try this one on for size. So Seth Rollins goes backstage to Kurt Angle, says, 
we need to do something about this McIntyre-Ziggler connection here. Because every time I'm coming close to beating Ziggler for the title, Drew McIntyre gets involved. Every time I come close to beating Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler gets involved. So what will you do about this current angle? Are you going to ban Drew from ringside? Are you going to add Drew McIntyre to the match so it's, at least it's legal when he gets involved in their match at SummerSlam and they can tease tension? What are you going to do, Kurt? What's your grand idea? So Kurt's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a tag team match because I've been watching old episodes of SmackDown and then if there's any one good thing that Teddy Long was known for, it was making fucking tag team matches. So it's going to solve absolutely nothing, but you're going to get Dolph and Drew tonight in a tag team match. Seth is like, great, I'll choose my partner. So it was supposed to be a mystery partner. And it was very strange too because Michael Cole outright said it's not going to be Dean Ambrose because he's been out injured since late last year. We haven't heard about Dean in a while. Now, we talked about last week here in the show, Alexis and I. We even said, I brought up the possibility, what if, since Rollins is having the deck sacked against him in recent weeks, what if this leads to the return, if this leads to the return of Dean Ambrose on Raw? Now, that I would assume that's the end game in all this, because otherwise, why would you bring up Dean Ambrose's name on Raw when he hasn't been seen in like eight months? It seems very random, okay? So... That gave me some hope that we might see Ambrose either on this show or sometime soon, whether it be at SummerSlam or the Raw after. I'm pretty sure that he'll be back on the sooner rather than later side. I know September was the original timetable for his comeback. I think it's going to be before then. And September, even if worst case scenario, it is next month. It's only a few weeks away. Anyway, though, so Rollins cannot choose Ambrose. Instead, he chooses Roman Reigns in a backstage segment, even though we already had Roman and Rollins versus McIntyre and Ziggler, like, last month. We had the exact same match a month ago, and they treated it like it was a huge deal because we've never seen it before, which, in reality, we have. It was only a fucking month ago, but anyway. Before that match can even happen, um, Roman says, or Kurt Angle says to Roman, that you've already wrestled once before tonight. We can't have you wrestling again at the behest of Stephanie McMahon, the Raw Commissioner. She doesn't want you wrestling tonight. Again, you already faced Baron Corbin in a long match. We don't want our SummerSlam main event to be in jeopardy. So Roman goes, okay, I'm going to have to battle this one out. Rollins, instead of choosing another partner, goes at it alone, like the uh, courageous babyface that he is. And it was a fun match. Like I've said before, Rollins, McIntyre, Ziggler, they all work very well together. It's just that we've seen the feud now for like two months, and I'm very much ready to move on from it. But anyway, Rollins, before you know, he got in some offense, he came close to winning on a few different occasions, ultimately to no avail. Fell short to Dolphin Drew with Dolph pinning uh, Seth Rollins clean. And that was it. No one came to Seth's aid. I thought it might be Jason Jordan or Dean Ambrose or Roman Reigns. Nope. Dolph pinned Seth, and again, nothing was accomplished by that at all. I guess maybe because Seth pinned Dolph in a tag team match a few weeks ago when he was teaming with Finn against Dolph and Drew. I don't know what their mindset is here. But yeah, Dolph gets his win back over Seth, and they have momentum on their side heading into SummerSlam in a few short weeks. Uh, Speaking of tag team matches, we had the B team taking on the Revival on a non-title match. Went to a no contest after the lights went out. Lights come back on. Instead of Dash Wilder, whatever member of the Revival was on the apron at that point, they're gone, and whatever member of the B team was on the apron at that point, they were gone as well, being replaced by Woke and Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. So they come in, lay out the rest of the B team, the rest of the Revival, and it was later announced that on next week's show, we have a three-way tag team title match for the Raw Tag Team Championship between Woke and Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt, the Revival, and the B team. 
a match, again, no one really cares about, but I'm glad it's not on the SummerSlam show, it did not need to be on the SummerSlam show, it's very likely that there's a fuck finish to that match, or the titles change hands, we have a rematch on the kickoff show or whatever, who cares, no one cares about the Raw Tag Team Division right now, just let the fucking feud die. Um, I really hope that's where the Revival pick up the belts. The B team have no business being Raw Tag Team Champions. I said that before they won the belts. I saw. I said that when they won the belts. I'm saying that now. They're an entertaining act, but they have no reason at all to be Raw Tag Team Champions at the present moment. So I'm hoping they drop the belts to the Revival next week, who really should have been Raw Tag Team Champions to begin with. Um, but you know, like I said, I like Hardy. I like Wyatt. Uh, Matt Hardy got some people talking for the last week. On Twitter, he was teasing retirement um, through some tweets that he put up, some very um, suspicious stuff. Apparently, it's just because he knows that he's not retiring soon, but he knows that he can't wrestle forever. And he's got a lot of injuries that have uh, you know, been stacking up over the years. I mean, when he came back to wrestling initially, like six years ago, he never planned to be wrestling another full-time schedule again. Then he signed with Ring of Honor, then he signed with Impact, now he's back in WWE wrestling all the house shows and shit. His body's pretty broken down. The guy can barely walk at this point. And I love Matt Hardy, but it's like, you know, he's on, he's on, um, his days are numbered here. You know, he's on borrowed time. So he can't be wrestling forever. They should not be having him wrestling every single week anyway, and let alone on the house shows. That's not really necessary. Uh, you know, I love Matt Hardy at the house shows. I got to see him at a house show late last year. So I'm happy I got to see Woken Matt Hardy at a house show. But it's like, eh, you know, it's not necessary just because the guy's in a lot of pain, presumably, and... It seems like it whenever I see him on TV, but whatever. So we are getting the Triple Threat Tag Team title match on next week's show, which could be a fun in-ring match, but if it doesn't lead to the Revival becoming Raw Tag Team Champions, then who the fuck could possibly care? The best part by far on this week's Raw came up next in a sit-down interview between Paul Heyman and Renee Young. Now, Paul Heyman has a knack for going all out with his appearances on TV, so... Let's go back to 2013 for a second. During the feud with CM Punk, CM Punk beat like the living shit out of him on an episode of Raw. It might have been right after Hell in the Cell, uh, or even before that. No, actually, you know what it was? It, it was at Hell in the Cell too, but also even before that. It was coming out of SummerSlam, going in and out of Champions. Paul Heyman had no one to back him up. I mean, it was Curtis Axel, but really how much of a help is Curtis Axel? It was Curtis Axel and Paul Heyman versus CM Punk. And Paul Heyman looked completely disheveled. He grew out his beard a little bit. He had facial hair. He had like stubble, whatever. His eyes were completely bloodshot. And they were playing it up like CM Punk is going to fucking murder this guy when they get in the ring together at Night of Champions. So Paul Heyman is like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have Curtis Axel, but I really don't have Curtis Axel because who the fuck could possibly care about the guy? And he looked like shit for weeks before it was revealed that it was all a not that it was a ruse, but Ryback came to Paul, uh, Paul Heyman's aid, helped him out, and helped him win the match. So it was all fine in the end. The, the same can be said for maybe this time as well. Maybe something, maybe it's all a ruse, but I don't think it is. I don't think they would have Heyman go this far if it was all a ruse, because it made it look like last week that Brock Lesnar is an unhinged monster. He's an unhinged beast in that no one can control him, not even his mentor Paul Heyman. So, I think this is completely real within the confines of the storyline, obviously. And that Paul Heyman really does not have a handle on Brock Lesnar. But I thought this was brilliant. The entire interview was great. 
it felt like a bad breakup or something with Paul Heyman basically saying, I haven't heard from Brock Lesnar for a week. He hasn't talked to me. This has never happened before. I've never seen this side of Brock Lesnar in the past. Um, it, it, it was pretty well done, like very well done. Just the look, him getting choked up and emotional down the stretch when Renee Young brought up the possibility of them not being a unit anymore. Again, some really strong stuff here with Paul Heyman. Renee Young also playing a role very, very well. What else is new? But Paul Heyman playing up the possibility that him and Brock come SummerSlam could be done. Like he said, that he'll be in his corner at SummerSlam, or at least he assumes so. But he hasn't heard from him for the past week, so he doesn't know where they stand at the present moment. I think Brock is on next week's show, so we should get some follow-up between the two in person when they interact with each other. If they interact at all, that is. Paul Heyman might be hesitant to kind of, you know, confront Brock Lesnar, like, should I do this or whatever. Um, But going back to what I was talking about before with Paul Heyman, the guy really is the MVP of Monday Night Raw nowadays. Now, Raw is in the fucking doldrums, like I said, anyway. It's a fucking shit show from week to week. But Paul Heyman, without Paul Heyman, Raw would would be in a much worse state. Now, I know Paul Heyman is not on the show every single week in that, Even when he is around sometimes, he's cutting seemingly the same promo that we hear from him every single fucking time. But it's great when he goes outside the box like he did on Monday and teasing tension, looking not all that confident in himself and in Brock Lesnar. He said, against this Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns does not stand a chance. And the segment was cut off there, which was interesting. But they also added the unedited ending to the interview on their YouTube channel. And I'm not sure why this they wouldn't include this. But so, after Paul Heyman says, against this Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns doesn't stand a chance, Renee Young brings up a different question. Or she's about to. And then Paul goes, unless... And then he cuts himself off and leaves. And then Renee Young tries to, get out of, tries to get it out of him. Like, what were you going to say, Paul? Unless what? Unless Roman Reigns does what? Paul Heyman has no answer and he just walks off. So... Roman has got to have a sleeve. I got got to have something up his sleeve, as does Paul Heyman. So maybe when he said in last, maybe he's thinking maybe Roman can beat Brock if Paul is with Paul is with Roman Reigns. Now that would be fucking cool, but people have been predicting that for like years now and has yet to happen, so I don't think it will. Um, but anyway, though, with Roman Reigns and the fucking Paul Heyman stuff and Brock Lesnar, I don't care about the feud, but Paul Heyman has been the saving grace of this entire thing. The only real reason I would be looking forward to that match is to see if Paul Heyman turns on Brock or vice versa. Now, it would be a mistake if he did, because I think if Brock is to leave, and he likely will leave after SummerSlam, he's going to be back. We know he's going to be back. So I would not break up those two. I would have them go their separate ways for right now, have Paul Heyman... Man, it's someone else, like a Roman Reigns, or a, I would prefer Bobby Lashley, but that's just me. And then have them rekindle their friendship, partnership, alliance, working relationship when Brock gets back, likely in time for WrestleMania. That's what I would do. I think breaking them up would be the worst thing they can possibly do. But either way, Paul Heyman is a fucking gem. The guy's a masterpiece. He puts forth masterpiece after masterpiece every single time he's on the show. And I think his presence really would be, or his absence really would be felt if he's not on the show after SummerSlam. And I don't think he will be. Um, and maybe we are past the point of Paul Heyman managing other people, because the last time they did that with Ryback and Curtis Axel, it was a fucking bust. The Curtis Axel thing was a waste anyway, but it really wasn't Axel's fault. They had him lose to people like every fucking week because he looked like a loser. So he really wasn't much of a threat. Paul Heyman really could not do 
The guy's not a miracle worker. We'll put it that way. Ryback, the guy was already a loser by the time that he linked up with Heyman. And he was also booked like a fucking loser. And there's only so much that Heyman can do for a guy like Ryback. But anyway, what I'm trying to get at here is that with Paul Heyman, without Paul Heyman, Raw is a, is a much worse show. So I'm hoping they can find another role for him on the show. And maybe Paul Heyman has no interest in sticking around. Maybe he has no desire to stick around for WWE beyond SummerSlam and Brock Lesnar isn't there. Maybe in his mind, it's like, I've been there. I've tried it. I don't like it. I don't want to be here. I mean, they did it with CM Punk and it was awesome. So maybe they can do something similar with, you know, another member of the, of the roster like a Roman Reigns or a Bobby Lashley or a fucking the Authors of Pain for God's sakes. Like, who knows? But... I don't know. I feel like Raw would be a lot better off with Paul Heyman on the show like this every single week. Because the guy never phones it in. His promos, some are better than others. Some are more memorable than others. But still, I think that the guy is a very valuable asset to the company. And without him, WWE is really missing out. So they should be finding any role possible. They should be doing everything in their power to hold on to Paul Heyman. Brock, by this point, the guy can come and go. I know he's been champion for a year and a half. I know he's never on the show. And Brock is a big star. But if he's not around till WrestleMania, I don't think anyone would complain. Because the whole fucking 500-day reign as Universal Champion ran its course like a year ago. So we need to move on from Brock in the main event spotlight for right now. But, but, when you have Paul Heyman sticking around doing other things, I think Raw can still be a great show. And like I said, you can accomplish that by not having Paul turn on Brock or vice versa. They're a match made in heaven. There's no real reason to break him up because you know when Brock gets back, he should not be by himself. He should not be going at it alone because he needs someone to speak for him and it's got to be Paul Heyman. So, again, that's what I want to see. I want to see Brock go away after SummerSlam for a while. I want to see Heyman stick around. And I want to see those two not be split up at all. I think that'd be an awful idea in the long term, in the long run. But I do think Raw is a lot better off with Heyman around than it is without him around. Because the guy is still on the mic and just as a performer in general, one of the best they have in WWE, regardless of what brand it is. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, you name it. Paul Heyman, he's not a wrestler, but Paul Heyman is one of the very best they have on the roster right now. Also on this show, we had the Riot Squad taking on Sasha Banks and Bayley in tag team action in a rematch from last week. A pretty good match, better than last week's encounter. What really made this noteworthy, aside from the fact that the heels got their win back, so 50-50 booking strikes again, huzzah! But we had Ruby Riot make her long-awaited return to, to Monday Night Raw. Um, I mean, I say long-awaited, but she really was missed from the moment she got hurt. She was out for about a month, but she is back at this point. The Riot Squad is a lot better off with Ruby Riot around than it is without her. Um, she really is the glue that keeps it together. Ruby Riot is really the star of the group. I like Sarah Logan. Liv Morgan does nothing for me, um, but I'm glad Ruby Riot is back. She was a great cornerstone of that Raw Women's Division before she got hurt, and she's a great wrestler. And you know she can have a lot of good matches with Banks and Bailey, which she did a few months ago. But if they want to have more matches, I'm not complaining. But yeah, this was good. I thought this was good, and it brought back Ruby Riot, so it, so it succeeded in what it set out to do, and reintroducing Ruby Riot to the roster. Then we get to the main event. Uh, Ronda Rousey making her in-ring debut on Monday Night Raw against Alicia Fox. I like this. I like this a lot. Now, the match itself was no masterpiece. It really was what you thought, what you would expect it to be. 
But I thought the whole presentation of this was really well done. They showed Ronda Rousey in the last time, like what really led up to her and Alexa Bliss going out of the Raw Women's Championship at SummerSlam, being screwed out of the title at Money in the Bank, being suspended right afterwards, subsequently suspended. Um, leading up to present day after Alicia Fox laid out Ronda Rousey on last week's show before Ronda Rousey retaliated. So we had that. We had Alicia Fox come out, cut a promo on Ronda before the match. We had in-ring introductions, which was cool. And then we even had Ronda Rousey cut a match or cut a promo after the match on Alexa Bliss saying that at SummerSlam, I'm taking your title and kicking your ass. In so many words, that's what she said. So I thought the overall presentation of this was on point. I liked it a lot. It really made Ronda Rousey seem like a star and... You know, for all my complaints of the Raw roster, they have no credible heels right now. They're booking Kevin Owens like a loser. Jinder, uh, Jinder Mahal is a fucking loser. Baron Corbin is a loser. Mojo Raleigh is a loser. Um, there's no compelling storylines. The women's division is on ice. Blah, blah, blah. The tag team division needs a lot of help. For as many complaints as I have about Raw right now, the booking of Ronda Rousey has been excellent. It has been absolutely excellent from beginning to present day. Uh, she comes across like a star every single time she's out there. She gets great reactions every single time she's out there. And so far, her matches have held up. Now, I've seen the criticism about the match, like, oh, she was too sloppy. She was too unsafe in there. I didn't see that, personally. Maybe I was watching a different show. But when I watched the match on Monday, I thought she came across just fine. And Alicia Fox kind of sucks to begin with. I'm not saying it's all on Alicia Fox. If they did fuck up and, I mean... As of right now, I have not heard that Alicia Fox got hurt. So I'm not sure what this criticism is that, oh, Ronda Rousey, she, she suffered, she's such an unsafe worker. Like, she looked good at WrestleMania. She looked great at Money in the Bank. She looked good here. This was basically a mercy killing with her just slaughtering Alicia Fox. Um, it was exactly what it needed to be. Gave her momentum before SummerSlam. I thought it was good. You got to work your way from the bottom and work your way up. So I'm glad they didn't feed like a Mickey James to Ronda Rousey. You can do that after SummerSlam on Raw, but I'm glad they start with the job girl first and Alicia Fox before building up to the bigger opponents at SummerSlam and then Mickey James, maybe Nia Jax again at some point, and then maybe the Riot Squad and everyone else on Raw. So I'm, I'm glad I was happy with what they did here, and I thought it came off really, really well. But overall, though, Raw sucked. The show was terrible. Worse than last week, which is saying something. The show last week I enjoyed, but overall was not a good show. Overall, this week's show was pretty much a complete waste of time. Almost nothing was accomplished. Aside from the uh, Ronda Rousey in-ring debut for Raw um, in the main event, which I'm glad was the main event because it was the most talked about thing on the entire show. Aside from the Heyman interview, and then the Heyman interview was the best thing on the entire show next to the Ronda stuff. Beyond that, the show is completely missable was Raw this week. Completely missable. Reigns and Corbin in a 20-minute match? Pass. Rezar versus Titus O'Neil? Pass. Bobby Lashley and Elias? Pass. Bobby Roode and Mojo Raleigh? It sucked. You had fucking Jinder Mahal and Braun Strowman? It sucked. Um, the revival in the B-team? It sucked before it ended. So, I'm, I'm done with all this shit on Raw right now. That's been the case forever now. And, you know, we I had, um... On hashtag AskGSM this past week. At Reborn again. John Ritland. I've plugged him every single time he's been here on the show before. He'll likely be here on the show again in the near future. To help me either break down SummerSlam or what have you. But um, he's great. But he did ask me on hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday. He said, could a very good SummerSlam show be enough to salvage WWE programming and make the show 
better than normal during the fall season. Because, you know, we always fall into a rut. Every single year, WWE basically rolls over and dies. They stop giving a shit, which I would think is impossible right now because it seems like they don't give a shit anyway, at least when it comes to Raw. SmackDown is a much more bearable and entertaining show from week to week. So if Raw's bad now, I can only imagine how much worse it's going to be come football season in early September. But just because we have a good SummerSlam, because the build to SummerSlam on the Raw side has been almost non-existent. Because the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns stuff, not you know Paul Heyman notwithstanding, has been dreadful. The Strowman-Owen stuff, they've tried, but I just I don't really care because the outcome is so predictable. Um, the women's stuff with Ronda and, and Alexa Bliss has been well done, but fucking Ziggler and McIntyre versus Rollins again, hey, it's very cookie-cutter bullshit, so I don't know. I really just could not care less about the raw road to SummerSlam, but even if SummerSlam exceeds all expectations, let's say it's the best SummerSlam in five years since SummerSlam 2013, okay? Best SummerSlam since then. It doesn't matter. Because that's been the case before with said pay-per-view, with, with said so, with, with said show, SummerSlam 2013. They've done this before where they put forth a great pay-per-view, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. The fall season still sucks. They still don't fucking care and don't put forth any effort whatsoever. So I, it doesn't really matter how good or how bad SummerSlam is. It's all a matter of whether they want to put forward the effort. If they want to put forward the effort into making Raw, at least more bearable going into the final few months of 2018, that's up to them. It doesn't matter whether it's September, March, July. Who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter what the month is. It doesn't matter where we are on the calendar, what pay-per-view's coming up next. If they want to give us great programming, they'd give us great programming because we know they're capable of it. Look at fucking SmackDown. And it's not just because SmackDown's two hours. Now, that helps. Raw being three hours in the current state that it is is not helping a soul right now. But if they want to put forward better programming, they'd book better programming. Baron Corbin and Finn Balor? Who the fuck could possibly care? Bobby Lashley and Elias, the authors of Pain and Titus Worldwide. Oh my god. Dreadful. Abysmal even. This is this is pretty bad, so I would not get my hopes of just if SummerSlam is better than you think it will be, for the Raw matches anyway. Don't think it's going to change anything for Raw going into the September season. I mean, now it could be great. I could be talking out of my ass here and saying that it's going to be terrible and ends up being great. I'm not saying it will be awful. I'm just going off a of past experience and saying that based off what we've seen in the years past, it likely will be pretty missable because they just seemingly don't really give a shit and they stop caring come September. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see that being the case. Moving on to happier things here with SmackDown Live on Tuesday, a much better show. We kicked off the night with Randy Orton once again addressing the audience and specifically his attack on Jeff Hardy on last week's show. Once again, another very good promo from Orton. Um, Not the best promo I've heard him cut. I thought the promo from two weeks ago was better, but this was still very good. And basically saying, you know, recycling the same material, the same stuff he said a few weeks ago, but I will target every hero that you like on this show, whether their name is Jeff Hardy AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, even fucking Rusev Day. I don't care who you like, but I'm going to take them down on my road to redemption. So obviously, first up is Jeff Hardy, who was uh, conspicuous by his absence on this week's show, probably selling the beatdown from last week. Um, But still, I thought this was good. Randy Orton is so much more comfortable. It's painfully apparent. 
not painfully, but it's very much apparent that Randy Orton is so much more comfortable, so much more, so much happier in the heel role than he is as a babyface. The promos are much better. The segments are much better. This is easily the most compelling Randy Orton feud I've seen in at least two or three years. And that's saying not a lot because he's had a lot of bad feuds with Rusev and Bray Wyatt and um, Jinder Mahal. My God, that was terrible. But it's great to see him finally finding his footing again as a heel and that he's a part of something that he can finally sink his teeth into. We'll see if it translates to the ring. We'll see if his matches are any better. If Or if just... You know, I mean, as of right now, Nakamura and Hardy has been confirmed for SummerSlam. As of this writing, Orton is not a part of that match, which really does surprise me. Um, but still, I do think that Orton, you know, being a heel is a lot better than what he was doing before. And even if he's not at Summer, which you know he will be at SummerSlam, but even if he doesn't wrestle, um, I think it'd be cool if, you know, we had... Orton and Hardy going out there and having the great match we know they can have. And not Orton, heel Orton, resting on his laurels by doing a fucking rest hold or whatever the hell it is. So, as a character, he's much more interesting, but I hope that translates to his matches too. Because if we get the same old Orton with the same old fucking rest holds and boring ass shit that no one cares about, then that's going to be a problem. Also on the show, we had women's tag team action with Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Staying on the same page, staying cohesive, and beating the Iconics as uh, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. A decent match, more about, you know, again, establishing that Charlotte and Becky, despite being opponents at SummerSlam in a few short weeks, they're still best friends, still on the same page. Now, Becky Lynch did not seem the happiest when Charlotte won the match for them against the Iconics. Um, it would certainly seem like Becky Lynch is going to be the one to go heel. And I really, really hope that's not the case. I think I said this last week when we talked with Alexis about it. I think it would be a massive mistake to turn Becky over Charlotte. Charlotte is a massive, is a natural heel anyway. Now, if you told me a couple months ago, and I might have even mentioned this here on the show, that when Becky was losing all the time, I think I even said that a heel turn, why the hell not? Because she has nothing left to lose at this point. Maybe she'd be more interesting. But now she's been winning a lot more, so it's a different story. Having her lose, not that she has to lose, but if she loses, it's fine. But if they have her turn heel, I think it would be just going against the grain. Because people want to boo Charlotte anyway. She is popular, but she's not as popular as Becky right now. Becky is a natural babyface people can rally behind and get behind and like. Charlotte is a natural heel. We saw that when she first got called up and she floundered as a face. And the only reason she is a face because people is because people respect her. She's a lot like her dad, Rick. Rick Flair was a great babyface, but a way better heel. And the only reason that he was a babyface was because people liked him so much because he was such a great heel. Same thing with Charlotte. So it doesn't have to happen next week or even at SummerSlam. But I really do hope, fingers crossed, that all roads lead to Charlotte and Becky one-on-one for that women's championship at Evolution. Now, I could see Carmella retaining at SummerSlam, which would be a shame because she sucks and she doesn't need to retain the title. I'd rather see the belt back on Charlotte or Becky, preferably Becky. But regardless, I do want to see Becky and Charlotte one-on-one at Evolution. Maybe not the main event, but I think that'd be an amazing match for what should be a stacked show. AJ Styles came out next to respond to Samoa Joe from last week in a promo where Samoa Joe targeted the family of AJ Styles and said that at SummerSlam, 
all your family, you know, your family's going to be expecting you home. They're going to be happy to have you home, but I'll be walking home. Me, Samoa Joe, I'll be taking that WWE championship. I'll be walking out with your title while you're licking your wounds at home. So I thought this was great. AJ Styles, uh, you know, the, the delivery of his response was not the best, but the content was very good. He's like, with one promo, Joe, with one promo, you threw away 10 years of friendship when you brought my family into this. And at SummerSlam, I'm going to kick your ass. So I thought this was good. Um, it made AJ look intense and passionate and driven. Him and Samoa Joe should steal the show anyway at SummerSlam, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, but the whole thing so far has been really, really well done. Joe comes across like a badass. AJ's just a great champion and a great babyface to begin with. Um, that I thought this was good. It's going to make people want to see them in the same ring with each other. Going at it, maybe they have a face-to-face next week after Joe called out AJ last week. AJ called out Joe this week. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's in store for these guys come SummerSlam. Um, yeah, no, this was really, really good. I was glad that AJ brought up the fact that they know each other. Oh, I didn't just meet you when you came to WWE a year ago. Haha. Like, no. Like, they've known each other for 10 years. Well, even past that, they've known each other for maybe 15 years. I mean, Joe joined TNA in what, 05, 06? AJ's there. AJ was there from the get-go. They had the fucking match at, um, yeah, at 05. At, uh, not against all odds. What the hell was that pay-per-view? Unbreakable, I think it was? That's the name of a movie. I just watched that for the first time a couple of years ago. Great movie, but it was something like that. And they had that three-way with Daniels. And that was, I think, in 05. So they've known each other for well past 10 years. But I was glad, point being, that AJ brought that into the conversation. They're not completely ignoring their history from years ago. Now, granted, he's not bringing up the initials, oh, TNA, that's where we wrestled for 10 years, down in fucking bingo halls in Florida, which would not be a stretch to say. He didn't need to say TNA or Impact or whatever, but he brought up the fact that they go way back. And that's just as good, in my opinion. Zelina Vega and Lana having a rematch from last week, equally as abysmal as last week's match, but... Once again, had the right results with Zelina Vega going over. Um, same exact finish as last week. This time, Rusev was in the corner of Lana was the only difference. Andrade and Rusev went at it. Um, when Andrade took out Rusev, out came in English to combat Almas. When he pushed Almas into the top rope by accident, down went uh, Lana from the top rope. Zelina Vega took advantage, won the match again, beat Lana for the second straight week. So that was good. Uh, the match was not good, but the outcome was what it needed to be. And I would assume, again, that we have Rusev and Lana versus Andrade Sin Almas versus, or, or Angelina Vega, I should say, in a mixed tag team match at SummerSlam. Now, I'm not sure where they're going with Aiden English stuff. They should be on the same page. Currently, they're not. They're going in circles with this shit. Um, I'm just glad that Rusev and Almas have something to do right now, and they're not directionless because they deserve a lot better than that. But um, we'll see. I don't know if they're going to split before SummerSlam or Aiden English turns on them or vice versa. I think it would be dumb if they went their separate ways. I think it really should just lead to all them getting on the same page and staying on the same page. Because I know Aiden apologized to Rusev and Lana before the match on this week's show. But then he inadvertently cost her the match shortly thereafter. So he's pretty. they're, they're pretty pissed at him still. But um, I think it would be dumb if Rusev ends up, you know, ends up becoming a full-fledged babyface coming out of SummerSlam. It would be weird for him to be a face, but yet turning his back on his best friend Aiden English. So I don't know where they're going with it, but bottom line, I'm liking the feud between all four people in the mixed tag team match at SummerSlam should be fun. The likely mixed tag team match at SummerSlam should be fun, I should say. Daniel Bryan versus The Miz 
has finally been confirmed for SummerSlam one-on-one. Eight years in the making, they're calling this thing, uh, which is awesome. They're not ignoring their NXT history. They're not ignoring the talking smack stuff, the stuff from Raw. Nothing. The fact that um, it was Brian who suggested that, that pretty much demanded that Miz be brought over to SmackDown a few months ago in the Superstar Shakeup, which was kind of uh, ignored. Um, then Daniel Bryan got, you know, distracted with big casts and then other stuff, Team Hell No. The Miz brought up all of this stuff, not just on SmackDown this week, but also in an interview that he did for E! News. It's a clip that's on the WWE YouTube channel. It was great. Bringing up all the history these two have. And the delivery of their promos has been awesome. Uh, the match is sure to be awesome, no pun intended, but the awesome one being The Miz. Uh, this was really, really good. So we had Miz talking about Brian, not really talking about Brian, really running down Daniel Bryan, talking shit about Daniel Bryan, I should say. Talk shit, get hit, and that's exactly what happened to Daniel Bryan in The Miz on the show. Because The Miz ran his mouth for far too long on the set, which it wasn't, of Miz and Misses before Brian crashed the set and laid out The Miz. Now I'm thinking that, oh, maybe Brian, you know, came to his sense and came to his senses and realized that Miz was backstage the whole time. No, it was never said that they were backstage. We were led to believe that Brian went to the set of Miz and Mrs. and attacked Miz there. So I thought that was very well done. And again, I cannot wait to see these two go at it at SummerSlam next Sunday. Shinsuke Nakamura having a quick match against R-Truth going over in decisive fashion to pick up a nice clean TV win. So successful and effective in what it set out to do. The Bludgeon Brothers, same thing, beating 3SK, their name was. Three job guys, I guess, from Orlando. Um, winning that match in a three-on-two handicap match. Winning in a matter of moments. Uh, in the matter of a minute or so, so a fine squash from them. Then the main event, which was easily the match of the night on the show. The best thing on the entire show, I would say. Between the New Day and the Bar, the winners of this match would earn the opportunity to vie for the SmackDown Tag Team titles at SummerSlam next Sunday against the Bludgeon Brothers. This was fucking great. This was an awesome, awesome match. They got plenty of time to go out there and have the match that they were capable of. No dull moments. Exciting from start to finish. The crowd was into it. They were hot for both teams from the get-go. The bar is great. The New Day is great. I love the hell out of this. Love the hell out of it. And in the end, it really could have gone either way. I was, you know, I wanted the bar to face the Bludgeon Brothers just because we've seen New Day and Bludgeon Brothers before dating back to WrestleMania, but whatever. I mean, people care about the New Day. People care about the bar too, but whatever. So the New Day won in the end after what was a tremendous match, so I can't complain. And now at SummerSlam, it's official. It's going to be the Bludgeon Brothers versus the New Day for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. And if the New Day can win there, they become five-time Tag Team Champions. So this marks the fourth consecutive year, which I'm sure, I don't know if anyone else can say this, but this is the fourth consecutive year that the New Day has been involved in a tag team title match at SummerSlam. They won the tag team titles back for the second time at SummerSlam 2015. They retained those same titles at SummerSlam 2016. They lost the SmackDown tag team titles at um, SummerSlam last year in the kickoff show. And now they're facing the Bludgeon Brothers for the belts on this year's show um, and next Sunday. So the New Day are very... Critical piece of the SummerSlam puzzle. I don't know whether they're going to win or not. I would have them win. The Bludgeon Brothers are a good act in the ring. As characters, they kind of bore me to tears. But um, So I would take the titles off them personally. If they don't and they want to keep New Day in cheese mode, that's fine too. But I would speed up the process and put the belts on them as soon as SummerSlam. Overall though, I like SmackDown once again this week. Overall, I thought it was a great video. Just a great package of... 
I almost said video package. Just a great package of everything. Um, successful furthering of feuds, more tension teased with uh, Charlotte and Becky and Rusev and Aiden and all these other people. Um, the tag team division got some great spotlight in the last half hour of the show. The U.S. title picture got some spotlight. Brian and the Miz doing their thing. We had AJ and Joe doing their thing. I love this week's show. I really did. SmackDown is a so much better and more bearable and entertaining and more musty show than Raw has been in months. In months. So be sure to check out SmackDown from Tuesday for some good stuff. And real quickly, from 205 Live, immediately after SmackDown on Tuesday night, we had Buddy Murphy and Tony Nese taking on Kalisto and Lince Dorado of the Lucha House Party in tag team action. I think this match was supposed to happen last week. Got bumped to this week because Tony Nese had like an injury or something or he wasn't there. He had some sort of issue, whatever. Maybe he was sick. They had the match in this week's show. Very fun match. These two teams work wonderfully together. This was great stuff. In the end, it was Tony Nese pinning Kalisto for the victory. So I assume the feud is not yet over. Noam Dar back in action against Sean Maluta. Um, the same man who competed in the first ever main event of the Cruiserweight Classic two years ago. And I looked it up. I'm like, this guy's not signed, right? Because we see him on NXT a lot. We see him on 205 Live from time to time. I'm very surprised he has not yet been signed. Now, I'm not his biggest fan, but the guy is like good in the ring as a character. I don't know what he has. Um, but the guy is very entertaining to watch when he's in there with the right guy. Noam Dar was that right guy. A great showcase for Noam Dar. And I really like the pre-match video package too. Um, that was kind of showcasing and highlighting Noam Dar's road to recovery after getting injured late last year. I liked that a lot. Made me care about his character that much more. Then in the main event, we had a day or Tommy taking on Mustafa Ali in what was an excellent match. Succeeded in telling an awesome story with Ali coming off his recent hospital stay, not being 100%. Nigel, Nigel McGuinness on commentary was exceptional in playing that up, talking about why Ali is arrogant for continuing the match, but yet showing concern for him afterward. It was great. And just in the ring, from an in-ring standpoint, the match was also very, very, very good. A um, lot of aggressive antics from Matami, which we have not seen in a while. So I appreciated that. These two work very well together. So I like that Atami went over in decisive fashion. He took pleasure in punishing Ali on the show. He's punishing him over and over and over by throwing him into the barricade and in the ring and just destroying the guy. And the commentators are like, oh, this is enough. Stop it. Like Vic Joseph on commentary was like, this is going too far. I like that a lot as well. Made Atami look like a badass and made Ali look very sympathetic, which he is just in general, a very sympathetic character. But this was fantastic. It really was. Um... I'm hoping and looking forward to more matches between them. And next week's 205 Live should also be very, very good. 205 Live next Tuesday. We got the rematch between Akira Tozawa and Leo Rush, as well as Cedric Alexander versus Gentleman Jack Gallagher, mere days before Alexander takes on Drew Gulak for the Cruiserweight Championship at SummerSlam. So, again, good episode of 205 Live on Tuesday night. Always firing on all cylinders. 205 Live just keeps on killing it week to week to week. But anyway, guys, that does it for today's edition of WrestleRant Radio for August 9th, 2018. Thank you guys, as always, for checking out the show. I thoroughly appreciate it. Be sure to check out the show every single week on NextAirWrestling.net or on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays as soon as it's uploaded to the Podbean, but you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. Steal the deal, of course, completely free. 
So anyway, guys, be sure to follow me on the social media machine on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube as well at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So next week, guys, we're going to have a blockbuster edition of WrestleRant Radio, previewing, predicting, and giving our picks for SummerSlam, and maybe take over Brooklyn 4 as well. Maybe with one, the only, the illustrious Mr. Marceau, RJ, making his return here to the show for the first time in many, many months. So we'll see about that. He might be here on the show. He might do an extra for YouTube uh, or on the website or both or nextdoorwrestling.net, giving our previews and predictions and picks for TakeOver Brooklyn exclusively. It depends on how much time we have, so we'll see. But regardless, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. I'm Graham Giusin Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road to SummerSlam. Wow.